Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, you ever heard the story of the diligent store owner who spent weeks perfecting their Shopify store only to see their hard work disappear after a simple mistake wiped out critical data? Their sales took a hit, their customers were confused, and they had to scramble to redo their work. Oh, what do we think of that, children? Now imagine they had out of the sandbox's Theme Updater Plus app with its new Vault Backups feature. In that scenario, the data loss disaster is averted, the store downtime eliminated, because they could just go back in time with Vault and get back to selling. That could be your story, my friend. Each day without Theme Updater Plus, your store remains at risk. It's a ticking time bomb. But with Theme Updater and its Vault feature, your story becomes one of seamless transitions and preserved efforts. Created by Out of the Sandbox, a theme developer trusted by over 80,000 e-commerce stores, Theme Updater Plus Vault Backups is the plot twist your Shopify store needs. Don't let your store become a tale of loss and disruption. Make it a success story with Theme Updater Plus with Vault Backups from Out of the Sandbox. Search for Theme Updater Plus in the Shopify App Store or go to outofthesandbox.com to learn more. today is Jesse Ely, the founder and CMO of Webtopia. 20 million spent on digital advertising. Jesse's led campaigns for big names like Etsy and Future Publishing. And she's got insights and data from some some big accounts, some some big spenders. And so she knows firsthand what is working right now in the realm of PPC ads, performance marketing. And so today we're going to discuss types of creative that score big wins, how to structure accounts, uh, some shifts in media buying that you may need to be aware of. And of course, maybe uh, we'll touch on Black Friday a little bit. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Jack Nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. Jesse, welcome. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Oh, my pleasure. So I don't know the last time we talked specifically about uh, meta ads, PPC ads on the show, but let's start with your journey where you began. How did you get started in the world of digital marketing? I've basically been in digital marketing my entire career. So straight out of uni, I got a job where I was kind of doing what was then SEO, but I didn't call it that and email marketing, but I didn't really call it that. It was like getting lists of people and like spamming them, trying to make the website show up in search engines. Um, and that was for like an education startup. Um, then I moved to London and I just got from there just different digital jobs and um, always kind of in digital marketing essentially. So very early on in the mid-2000s, I was working on Google ads uh, and then that was before social media even existed. And then social media came along and there started to be some advertising options around that. Initially, I was doing more organic social, helping them, you know, the brands that I worked for to um to navigate that space and then once we got advertising options we started using them so i've been doing facebook ads really since they started offering the opportunity to sponsor posts and have sidebar ads etc since then i've um so my agency's been around about five years we're purely focused on uh, e-commerce so i very much kind of niche down into e-commerce and product 
product brand marketing um, using Meta and uh, and Google Ads. What made you decide to put out your shingle and start your own agency? Well, I was kind of pushed in a way. It was something that was always in the back of my mind that I felt like there needed to be a better, there needed to be something better than what I was experiencing. So the problem I wanted to solve was that, so I worked for some pretty big brands towards the end, like Etsy was one of the bigger ones. They were spending around, in, in my markets that I looked after, around $10 million a year. And despite that, we were paying our agency $32,000 a year, sorry, um, uh, $32,000 a month to work for us. And even so, they had this one senior guy on the account and he wouldn't even show up to calls sometimes with me. We were, so the experience with big agencies or with agencies in general was, you know, lots of talent on the pitch, very junior team managing your account ultimately, and the strategy having to sit with the brand rather than with the agency. And I thought that doesn't work for brands that are just getting started or scaling up because how can they afford, you know, a CMO that's 100K plus to pay? They can't. They need that expertise. So my agency, I started it to kind of solve that problem and provide much more strategic support for brands that wanted to grow and didn't necessarily have marketing as a skill set within their, within the brand. Um, but what actually pushed me to actually take the leap and do it was the company I was working for. The owner spent all the money on private jets and all sorts of crazy stuff, ran out of money from his investors. They stopped supporting him and he laid every one of us off. And I was seven months pregnant, so I just kind of had to. <laughs> and I was the main breadwinner in my family, so I actually started freelancing when I was seven months pregnant. And then from there, it didn't, you know, that freelancing grew and grew, and it didn't make sense to go back and get a, a real job. And I just start, launched the agency when my son was um, a little baby. And I take it that's been going well. Yeah, <laughs> it has. Yeah, and I think it affords, you know. Although being an entrepreneur sometimes is a lot more work than you plan for it to be, it definitely still gives me that flexibility that I want, you know, with parenting and to be able to go to like this week, going to my son's school show, taking him to a school ski day. Like, yeah. It is, it is nice being your own boss, even if it, there's, there's a lot of baggage that comes with it, yeah. but there's also a lot of freedom and independence that comes with it too. Yeah. In the, that time, in your career, you have spent tens of millions on digital ads. Yeah. What's the key takeaway? What is the biggest lesson you've learned? Just give me the one thing. I think it's that no matter what happens with, you know, technology and, you know, the changes on the platform, all of that, ultimately marketing principles apply and good marketing, there's no substitute for good marketing. So understanding your customer and understanding why they buy your product and communicating that clearly in your ads. That's the fundamental that you have to get right before anything else will work. It is, it's easy to simplify down to the, fun, to the fundamentals if you are willing to go there and do the work. It is a lot of, a lot of testing, copywriting, you know, bouncing through, understanding your audience, their pains, their problems, what they're looking for, less so than, you know, the technology, the gadgets, the shiny toys that become distractions. Yeah. There is a core to marketing that remains unchanged for a century. Yeah. And people want the hack to work because it's easier, right? If you could just Absolutely. find this sneaky new way of setting up your ad account that no one else is doing and not bother to change your ads or think about your audience, 
then you'd do it, right? I'd do it too. Like if that was going to work for my clients or for a brand that I was working on, I would do it. But at the end of the day, those tactics, those hacks, they don't last very long. They'll give you a limited amount of good performance for a while, but it'll it'll come to an end. And if you have great a great understanding of your customer, then you'll always find different ways of um, positioning your message that resonates with them, and that will work despite the setup. A hundred percent. Now, you said you're Google Ads, so that's is that Google Shopping. Yeah, so it's mostly through Performance Max these days, but um, yes, essentially Google Shopping, search ads, and actually now with Performance Max, uh, you know, ads are running all over the place. They're running in display. They're running on YouTube. Um, the algorithm is kind of placing them wherever, wherever the the performance is most likely to occur. And are you a fan of Pmax Performance Max campaign? Yes, definitely. We've been testing them since they since they came out, which is over a year ago now, probably 18 months. Um, and we've been experimenting with setups and, you know, learning what we need to do to optimize for Performance Max. And um, yeah, we love it. It's it's not, we don't have just Performance Max running in our ad accounts. It's not something we rely entirely on. Um, we often have a brand campaign running. We will use insight from the Performance Max to create um, standard campaigns as well. Um there's a lot of nuance. I think a lot of people think that, oh, now there's Performance Max, it's all automated, just set it and forget it. But there's a lot more optimization that kind of happens on a technical level now. A lot of optimization happens in Merchant Center with your feed, um, getting your feed images and your feed metadata and the titles of your product really well organized and really well optimized so that the machine can work with it better. Um, so that's kind of where you innovate at the edges to get the machine to work even better um so yeah it's exciting though those pmax shopping campaigns they can really only work as well as the the content they start with and for a shopping campaign that's going to be that data feed and i have i have been on the uh the technical side implementing those data feeds and going through google merchant center and it, it there's I've gotten through it. There's definitely been times where I want to tear my hair out with that thing, where it just feels so obtuse. It's like, well, there's the error lights on and on your black box. Anyway, figure it out. Oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of things. It gets more complicated when you have multi-market, multi-currency, different taxes, different shipping. That's where the devil really is in the detail there. And again, the brands that are willing to do the hard work on that and really kind of dig deep will be the ones that will ultimately succeed and have the best data and the best um, opportunity for the machine to work well for them. Yeah. Within our, our PMAX campaigns, you know, the idea there is you give it all the source material and then it on its own goes out and figures out like placements and mixes and matches content. What kind of content what pictures or videos make people want to click an ad how do i let pmax do its best work yeah i mean it's really interesting because we're an agency that kind of came up as more of a, a meta ad well we always did google from the start but i think our um initial focus was more around meta because that's where i had the most excitement and experience um but we came up as you know really focusing on creative so when we started doing performance max we were able to bring a lot of that insight and learning into the performance max campaigns so again, it's like the the creative formats are much more simple and 
and you can't control as much how Google's going to interpret them and kind of place them in different, you know, parts of the funnel, parts of the internet. You know, you don't exactly know where it's going to go, but still having focusing on um, those kind of good principles around creative where you focus on benefits, not features, where you have kind of pattern interrupting, eye-catching, creative, where you focus on the first three seconds if it's video to really draw people in um, and capture their curiosity and their attention before they um, click away or skip the ad. So always thinking about the fact that, you know, performance creative generally is optional to watch for the most part. It's generally not forced upon people. So if it's optional to watch, you need to buy people's attention with how creative and interesting your creative is. So the same goes for Meta as well. You know, like it's an optional scroll past or stay and stick around and watch. So identifying the problem that you solve um, for people, agitating that problem, you know, again, back to those marketing principles, but using them in a very succinct and very clear um very kind of short form, concise way when it comes to Google, yeah. And so we want to make thumb stoppers, right? We are engaging in interruption marketing yeah. and we have to provide people with a quick and compelling reason to just check out the ad a little more and then maybe they'll click through on the ad to our site. Yeah. And so it has to be compelling. We cannot make small claims. It has to be relevant, bold, attention getting yeah give me an example do you have i mean is there a really good ad you've seen lately that fits this mold yeah i mean this isn't an example from um particularly meta uh, sorry particularly google or performance max but an ad that i share i actually shared it recently on my linkedin and i got a good number of views just through sharing how great this someone else's content was and i you know my comment was this ad is genius um and it's an ad for it's a type of um see if I can just find it here. I actually don't know what the brand's name is, but it's the shorts that you wear over your bikini to kind of feel a little more comfortable if you're not so comfortable as a woman, you know, letting it all hang out. Um, and the ad, I mean, people were speculating that it was a Harmon Brothers ad. The ad is just very clever at like using humor and I can share it with you so you can share it with your audience, but it uses humor to agitate the problem. So it has like an image, a, a a little video short of this woman wearing like a nun's habit beside the pool and like hiding all of her body and like, you know, that's really silly, but that's the pain point she has is she kind of wants to hide, but she doesn't want to look like she's hiding. Um, and then it goes into kind of just really joking about um, uh, about skinny girls by the pool and how they're flaunting their body and like then she pushes one of these girls into the pool and it's just very cleverly done. But I think what's awesome about it is it really taps into like, understanding the customer again like how it, how it feels to not want to show your body but maybe um to not want to miss out on all the fun that's going on and to still feel cute and still kind of be part of what's going on this summer so i think it's a very clever ad in that sense it kind of ticks all the boxes for me in terms of agitate pain point solution using humor um, lots of fast movement and changes very empathetic towards its customer um yeah it's a great ad which i can i can share with you it does tick all the boxes, right? It, and I'm, I have not seen it. I'm willing to bet it's got like a kind of a cinematic look to it. Yeah, she's by a pool. Um, it's, you know, nice and bright. The lighting's really good. Um, 
yeah, it's a great ad. But I will say, so that's one type of ad we'd call kind of elevated creative. So, you know, there was definitely a professional film crew involved, actors, script writers, you know, the whole nine yards. Ads can work just as well that are filmed on your phone and very much done in an organic way. This is ultimately it's social advertising, right? And social advertising, when it looks social, when it looks native to the platform, can perform really, really well. And so I encourage brands to, no matter what type of brand you are, um, to definitely try that kind of more organic style, shot on a phone, you know, edited on CapCut type creative as well. Because um, even if the elevated creative works great for you, you could find a new pocket of audience, you can find new customers for your brand who are more drawn to that more native style creative. Want to turn up the heat on your Shopify store? Make your sales and promotions sizzle this summer with Zipify Pages, a one-of-a-kind landing page builder created by the owner of a $175 million Shopify store. It's got mouthwatering templates for every landing page or sales funnel your store needs. Launching a new product for Father's Day? <coughs> or take your 4th of July sale to the next level. How about a Jaws-themed pool party? With Zipify Pages, you can launch entire sales funnels in minutes, not days, without needing to hire a designer and developer. And because every template is tested first on a $175 million Shopify store, you know they actually work. That's why over 5,000 Shopify merchants use Zipify Pages to improve every page on their store. So if you want to cook up some sales this summer, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to start your 14-day free trial today. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. Hey, Paul, how do you want your burger? And especially, you know, if the audience skews younger, I suspect they they want that more UGC TikTok style because it speaks to authenticity. Yes. What was the, you made reference to a, a mobile video editor. Was it Capwing? CapCut, yeah. My 12-year-old was like, you use Capwing? Like, he couldn't believe that I knew about a web-based video editor. <laughs> like, just was shocked, but did, like didn't know what to do with that information. Yeah. Like, if there's any overlap between my 40-year-old self and his Gen Z universe, even though we're all, you know, using the same internet, right? He, like, just does know what, does not know what to do with it. But anything and everything anyone older than him does is cringe. <laughs> cringe cuts deep. This is, like, the worst thing Gen Z can level against you is your cringe. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Because cringe means, like, trying too hard it's like you came across as inauthentic in some way and they are now mortified on your behalf yeah and so depending on who the audience is they're going to want that more authentic um like diy looking approach totally and or they're going to want that really polished elevated creative that cinematic look mm -hmm. totally because then they're impressed on a creative level which yeah i think gen z loves good creativity as well um, I think it's, yeah, it's it's really interesting as well, like how far we've come with that, what we call like UGC creative. So, um, which UGC stands for user-generated content. Um, and it means content that's come from your audience or your customers. But what it's actually come to mean nowadays is brands will often pay for UGC. So they'll pay kind of ordinary people who do this professionally to shoot, 
review a testimonial of their ad, of their product. But where things have gone with the authenticity kind of demand from audiences is you've got to get that fake UGC to look as real as possible because people are wise to that too, right? Our feeds are full of ads supposedly from real people reviewing products, but our kind of bullshit meter is is very dialed in. And so if we see that it seems like this person doesn't really love this product and they're just wooden and they're saying it, then it's not going to work either. So I think one of the hardest things for brands is creating this really authentic creative that comes across that the people who are who are kind of acting in it really are genuine real people. So that's the kind of creative challenge as well. Finding those creators who come across and are, are, are basically really great actors and come across really genuine. Yeah, the, you you want the person where when they're done filming and the person on the other side of the camera goes, "You're a natural." Yeah, <laughs> like they're not. They believe me. That's skill and practice. Uh, other than you know being inauthentic, where people are gonna they're gonna sniff you out, and then that's where you get the nasty Facebook comments. Yeah, or like, "Ha, nice try, marketer. Not today, Satan." What else should we avoid when making an ad? Um, what else should we avoid? Well, again, flipping it around the other way, like the first three seconds are so important. So avoid being really boring or starting the ad really slow. I think when people are just getting started with this medium, we've grown up, you know, most brand owners probably grew up with TV ads as the main place they saw ads. Now, TV ads are true interruption marketing. We didn't have phones. We didn't have laptops. We were watching the TV. Unless we made to, went to make a cup of coffee, we're watching the whole ad. So advertisers could afford to backload their message and start with something that doesn't actually, you know, you don't know whether it's a car ad or is it going to be a McDonald's ad? I'm not sure yet, but they're building it up. Whereas with um, social creative, digital creative, you need to start with the first three seconds to establish the relevance and kind of hook people's attention. So don't risk losing people in that first three seconds is is one really important thing. Um, Make it really fast, make it really quick, get to the point quickly, focus on so don't focus on your features, focus on benefits. I see a lot of brands kind of think that everyone wants to know, you know, the technical specification of their product before they've even realized why they need this product in their life. So it's the age old thing of, you know, people don't buy the kind of technical specification of the mattress, they buy a good night's sleep. So really understanding what is the reason people buy and focusing on that in your ad rather than thinking that you've got to cram a whole lot of features into it. Um, yeah. That's a good starter for 10 anyway. You've got, you have accounts spending six figures a month. Yep. What's working right now for those big accounts? So what's working in some of our bigger accounts is, um, I'll kind of reel through a big list here. So exclusions are really key. So we don't use like heavy exclusions anymore. So we're not excluding like the whole lower funnel from the top of the funnel so for those uninitiated, we're not saying like only show the ads to people who have never, ever been on our website, never interacted with our socials, but we are big proponents of excluding recent purchases or even all purchases from your top of funnel. Uh, and you can then target your past buyers in a separate campaign, but making sure that you really are prospecting with your prospecting campaigns is really key. Um, and we use... To do that, we will use the Pixel purchase event. So we're excluding people who have like fired the Pixel event of purchase. But we'll also upload lists of all of our, all of our customers into uh, into Facebook. And if you use Clavio, you can do that automatically. 
So you're automatically populating that exclusion list. And the reason why we do it that way, as well as using the pixel, is because because of data privacy and people opting out of being tracked, um, the pixel doesn't always give us all the information about who's bought, whereas doing it through Clavio, we can do. Um, and you can also use these kind of audiences for building lookalikes. We've seen in recent months a bit of a resurgence of lookalike audiences. Now, lookalikes used to be the absolute go-to for um, getting a campaign to work, especially for new accounts. You could get a campaign to work by uploading a list of your best customers and then creating a lookalike off that. When iOS 14 data privacy changes came through, there wasn't as good of a data kind of fueling the machine. And so those lookalikes tended to not work as well. But we, we find now what we do is they never have the kind of longevity that they used to do, but we'll upload a stacked lookalike. So we'll put like a 10% lookalike of your past buyers, a 10% lookalike of your website visitors, a 10% lookalike of your Instagram engagers. So every kind of audience that we've got available, we'll create a lookalike of that. We'll stack them all together and that makes the audience really quite large uh, and we'll use that to target people in prospecting. Now, the reason why we're trying to make the audience large, it's really key to understand this. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening maybe are already aware of this, but just in case people aren't, it's really important now in 2023 to use as big of an audience as you kind of possibly can without, uh, so you can go completely broad and that works great as well. And we can talk about that in a minute. But if you're doing interest-based audiences or lookalikes, you want to keep them pretty big, like 5 million plus even you know, if you're targeting a big area like the States, you probably want them to be 10, 15, even 20 million. So really large audiences. And the reason for that is we're giving more uh, freedom to the algorithm, to Mesh's algorithm, to find uh, to find your customers within that large audience. So rather than we assuming as marketers that we kind of know exactly who to target and narrowing it down and therefore making our costs higher, and restricting the algorithm from being flexible and finding the people who are likely to buy, we're giving a lot more freedom to the algorithm. And I guess that's the theme of digital advertising in 2023 really is you're feeding the algorithm with what it needs to perform well. So you need to understand enough about how it works in order to give it what it needs to do its job. And then you let it do its job. You trust it, you give it long enough, you give it enough budget. Um, These are all really key things. Well, I wanted to know... In the past with a lookalike audience, we'd set it to like 1%. And then, you know, the shocking revelation was like at 2%, it works better. And you're saying, hey, send them to 10% and get as many as you can. Use different sources for these lookalike audiences. Exactly. Based on, you know, whatever's available to you. So we're casting a wider net. We're giving the algorithm more resources to work with. So it would make sense. I mean, the thing is, it's a statistical model. It works better with a larger sample size and more freedom. Is the same true for ads? Do I want many ads or just a few really good ones? So yeah, I would say many ads is probably where we're leaning at the moment. So you want all your ads to be good. So I wouldn't say just throw a whole lot of crap at the wall and see what sticks. Like you want each ad to, you know, be worth spending some money on to test it. So you're going to be you're going to be betting on it, right? So you're going to be spending some money to see if it, it it works. So you want to be confident that it is a good ad. But we need to have a variety of creative. That's really key. So where we used to um, kind of segment our audience a lot for testing, and we might have an audience of, you know, yoga moms and another audience of like, um, I don't know, soccer moms, and then another audience of like car lovers and all these different kind of audiences for your brand. And then you might have 
sometimes you might have quite generic creative to those audiences. Other times you would tailor the creative. Now we're kind of going really big and broad with our audiences, but we're using our creative to do the targeting. So if you stick on one angle and one type of creative, because it's worked well for you in the past, you're going to deplete your addressable market. So eventually you're going to kind of burn through the people who liked that style of ad, who resonated with that message, and you're going to have nowhere more to go. And that's where we see accounts kind of stop, you know, they're kind of stuck somewhere where they can't kind of scale and they think that they've kind of reached the tipping point that it's sort of the maximum that they can get to on Meta. Um, And that was actually the case with a jewellery brand we took on about a year ago. Uh, they were kind of stuck and they were stuck in this kind of sale mode of like running a sale at the end of every month to try and get more more people buying. But what they weren't doing was varying their creative. And so the answer to that is have creative that's tailored specifically to the audiences that you that might be interested in your product. So if it was yoga mums and soccer mums, you'd have a different ad for each. You might put them in a different ad set. Uh, and allow the algorithm to go find those people who, for whom that ad resonates. So the way the algorithm works is it shows initially the ad to around 500 people to give it a test of like, okay, who's clicking on this, who's interacting with it, who's engaging with it. And then once it starts to understand like who this ad is for, it goes off and tries it, tries to find more people like this. So for instance, if you were targeting, you know, brides, for instance, who are um, shopping for all the stuff related to their wedding, the ad should speak directly to that bride on a really simple level. Hey, um, you know, hey, future, sorry, not brides, I guess it's engaged people. Recently engaged, you know, we've got some products for you. I, I wouldn't do it that basic, but I'm just explaining for the example. And then once people, the people who interact with the ad will only be people who are recently engaged in planning a wedding. The ones that aren't will skim past. So Facebook starts to learn who's interested in that ad and it goes off and like finds those people. So we, we say the ad is the targeting and it's it's really true. So if you're only targeting one type of person, then Facebook's going to kind of go after those people and then it's kind of going to run out. Whereas if you have different ad formats, different angles, different avatars that you're going after with your ads, then you're going to have more opportunity to scale and reach a wider audience with your product. That makes sense. It's time to take the conversion challenge. Look, if tracking issues, cookie restrictions, or abandoned carts are holding back the full potential of your store, Elevar's here with a solution. With their server-side tracking and session enrichment tech, Elevar ensures every customer interaction is going to be tracked and attributed correctly. That eliminates data gaps and tracking inconsistencies for you. And the result is a potential 200% increase in emails sent and almost double the revenue. To sweeten the deal, Elevar offers plans starting at $0 a month. And to make sure you could truly test that Elevar difference, a 15-day free trial is included with every plan. The Elevar Conversion Challenge invites Shopify merchants like you, yes you, to take control of your data, boost your conversion tracking, and witness the remarkable growth in your revenue. Visit getelevar.com to learn more about how Elevar can make a significant difference in your conversion tracking. Don't let another potential customer slip through the cracks. Start your journey to better conversion tracking with Elevar today. Go to getelevar.com to get started. E-L-E-V-A-R, Elevar. You've touched on ad structure. I think this is the part that I find the most technical intimidating is how do I organize the ad account? Um, And so Walk me through that a little bit. Like, how should we be organizing these meta ad accounts for the best results? 
I mean, it's the tricky thing is it it really does depend. And like, there's no one perfect way to organize your account. I think it depends a lot on what creative you have available to test. Like, do you have a lot to test at the moment or do you have a little? Um, are you just getting started? Are you, do you have a big budget? Do you have a small budget? So yeah, there's, there's a lot of different frameworks you can use for testing. And I wouldn't say there's one set way. However, I can give you a few examples. So if the ad account's you know, not spending a ton and is fairly new, then dynamic creative can be a really great option. So dynamic creative is where you tick the dynamic creative box um, when you're setting up the ad set. And what you then do is give the algorithm, sorry, give Facebook a number of different options in terms of um, video, you know, static images, different creative options, and then different, um, a few different copy options as well. And then you la- allow the algorithm to combine those together into different ad variations. So that can be like a really simple way if you're just getting started and you want to, you know, give the algorithm as much power as possible to find you a great um, combination of audience and creative. Um, that's one way of going about testing. Another kind of very straightforward, simple way to do it if your ad account is fairly um, new or you're not spending a lot of money on ads yet is just having a very simple structure of testing three ads at once. So you might have one or two ad sets top of funnel and then you would have three ads in each um, and see which ones perform best and then the ones that do you scale. Uh, Once the ad account gets a little bit bigger, we often do, we often have our kind of what you call your business as usual ad sets that probably have three ads, maybe four ads in them. Those ads that are working well, performing well, you know, ticking along nicely, you might be scaling it every few days, that's working well. But then a separate in a separate ad set, you might then also have a have a whole lot of creative that you're testing. So some people would test a ton of creative at once, but others would say you just test maybe three or four ads at once. And then once one or two of those ads starts performing well or you've figured out um some ads that hit your KPI, then you can start to scale that test ad set up as well. In the old days, we would take those ads and like move them around. But I think a lot of people are finding now that what's best is like just to scale in situ. And then you can start another test ad set where you are then running a whole lot of new creative on a kind of lower budget initially to see how it works. So those are a few kind of options for creative testing that I would advise. We haven't talked about Advantage Plus or Advantage Plus shopping campaigns, as which is their full name. Um, because by the way, Meta is now calling everything Advantage Plus. So what when they first bought an Advantage Plus, it was this automated style of advertising that's a little bit like Performance Max, and they called it Advantage Plus. But then they started calling everything else Advantage Plus. So now we need to say ASC campaigns, Advantage Plus shopping campaigns. Um, we generally say with them that you, you would put in those campaigns, you would put pre-tested creative that you know has worked well in the rest of your account. But the difference here is you want to have about 10 ads running in Advantage Plus shopping campaigns because the whole way that our algorithm works is it needs a lot of creative to be able to go after those different pockets of audience from the one campaign. So um, again, you want to have somewhere that you're testing creative so that you've got this really good creative that you can then put into an Advantage Plus shopping campaign that you can then scale significantly. For you... What's the rule of thumb for a good versus a bad ad? Like, how do you know an ad is working well? Uh, in terms of the data, do you mean? Or in terms of, like, what am I looking for in terms of attributes? In terms of the data. Yeah. So this is a great question. So every 
every brand has different KPIs that, you know, are going to work and be profitable for their business. So it's not to say that like a one ROAS is bad or a five ROAS is good. The thing is that, you know, for one brand, one ROAS is like absolutely amazing and they can scale to the moon. And for another brand, they need to have five in order to be profitable. So first and foremost, you need to know what your KPI for success is. And that will come down to like what your profit margin is, you know, how are you going for efficiency? Are you trying to kind of be super profitable or are you going for growth and you're willing to sacrifice profit for, you know, acquiring a lot of customers um, for the long term who, you know, are going to come back and you're kind of going for a lifetime value play. So it really does depend. You need to sit down, look at your numbers, figure out what your KPI is for growth for you, and then use that as your North Star metric to decide, you know, which campaigns and then ultimately which ads are working well. Um, there's a lot of debate kind of on DTC Twitter and in the media buying community about whether metrics below your kind of key KPI, which would be either ROAS, return on ad spend, or it would be cost per purchase, CPA. So those two metrics will ultimately tell you how successful the ad has been at doing its job. But a, a lot of media buyers and, you know, our team definitely look do as well, look at the metrics kind of that happened before that. So what's the click-through rate on the ad? What's the what's the hook rate? So how many people, how, what proportion of your audience actually stayed and watched that first three-second hook versus scrolled past? Um, so I do think that those soft metrics, as we'd call them, give us some really interesting information about whether the, you know, ad creative is doing its job and whether we should kind of leave it to run for longer or whether we should switch it off because actually everyone hates it. No one's sticking around. The click-through rate is terrible. It's kind of hurting the account. Um, but the other thing to bear in mind as well is like there's a kind of theory, which I won't go into deeply, called the breakdown effect, but the meta algorithm is designed to kind of overall achieve your goal. So if you tell it to achieve purchases, then it's going to go and try and achieve that. Now, what it's doing in in between, you know, to try and achieve that goal for you, showing your audience different ads, um, kind of figuring out the combination of ads and audiences that is going to work best. So it may not look like a particular ad is doing um, doing amazingly well. There might be a couple of ads that are performing better than than um, than the ad that's getting all of the spend. But the thing is that those ads that are performing really well might not be scalable, right? Whereas the ad that's getting all of the spend might be doing okay and it's a much more scalable ad with much more of a broad appeal. So that's why Facebook is putting more money towards that particular ad. So trying to kind of second guess the algorithm and switch off ads and switch on ads because, you know, one's performing better than the other. You are assuming that you know better than some very, very smart AI that has been developed over many years by very smart people. And I think you can screw up the performance of your ad account by doing that. So looking really at the individual level of the ads and like, you know, fiddling around with them all the time is, is not something I would recommend. You need to know your North Star metric and you need to know whether the overall campaign or ad set is achieving it. And then you need to give it, you know, fresh ads and um, good ad good ads uh, in order for it to perform. But, you know, trying to second guess the algorithm and circumvent it is is not what I'd recommend. I suspect that is where a lot of people get themselves into trouble is is fiddling too much, is adjusting too much, trying to optimize yes. is easy to really break stuff by over-optimizing, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it, as the old adage goes. So how often should we check on our ads and make changes? 
where is the line between you're ignoring it and you are touching it too much? Yeah. Again, it comes down to how much you're spending, right? So if you're spending, you know, the kind of spending that the kind of budget that we're spending in some of our larger accounts, we're going to be checking it every day and making maybe slight changes, not kind of fiddling around at the ad level like that every day for sure. But we're going to have to, there's a lot more happening each day because there's a lot more spend going through the account each day. Um, But for smaller accounts, you know, I would always be keeping an eye on it every couple of days, like every two to three days you want to go in and make sure, you know, it hasn't suddenly fallen off a cliff or, you know, it stopped tracking. Like that's really key because you can pick up on things that have gone badly wrong in the account. Um, But you're probably on a smaller account, you know, say you're spending sub 5K a month. You're probably only making like changes to the account every seven days because you need enough data to flow through. There's delayed attribution as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's important to like not make changes too often. So probably once a week where you, I mean, you can change the budget. You can up the budget by 10% every few days if it's going well, but making kind of significant changes to the setup or deciding to switch things off or on, I'd probably only do once a week on a small account. Okay. And- Black Friday will be here before we know it. What special things are you doing for Black Friday ads or in advance of it? And do you have any tips for us for succeeding and standing out uh, leading up to and on Black Friday? Yeah, love this. Hopefully this episode goes out somewhat before Black Friday. But uh, yeah, so it's because it's really important to plan ahead and I can't stress that enough. Like right now we're in what am I in, end of August, (laughs) Um, almost September, and we are talking to our brands about exactly what offers they're going to be running. We're testing offers at the moment, so we might do little flash sales to see whether gift with purchase works better than like site-wide discount or discounting a certain portion of the collection. Does that kind of move the needle versus like other types of offers? So making sure you've kind of figured out what offers going to really resonate with your audience is one thing to do now. Um, And again, like I've got lots of advice around what you do in terms of your sale offers, but keeping it really simple and easy to understand, I think is really key. It shouldn't be something that's super complicated to kind of figure out and where someone has to kind of really get their calculator out to figure out what's going to happen. So that's really key. But then in this period, so it's it's a tricky period kind of prior to Black Friday for e-com. It does go a little quiet. People tend to panic a little bit about their performance because you know, it's back to school's kind of past and, uh, you know, people aren't thinking about Christmas shopping yet. So it's a, it's a funny old period. People are waiting for the discounts to come along. But so what we tend to focus on with our brands at this time of year is data, data capture and building out audiences and nurturing and warming audiences that we can then hit really hard when the peak season hits. So email capture is really key. So having, um, whether it's some kind of like competition that you run or we're going to, you know, you'll be the first to know about our discounts when they land, that kind of thing, some kind of hook to get people onto your email list and running ads to that uh, to that hook. So um, you can do it on the landing page. That's probably the best thing to do because you can then like retarget people and it gives you a much more immersive introduction to the brand for those, um, for those visitors. So you have a landing page where they sign up to your email, you optimize for that, you track that and optimize for it. Um, Also running, you know, an organic social, running lots of videos so that you can retarget your video viewers from organic social, encouraging people to interact with your social. So running polls, 
just doing things that are going to kind of nurture your audience so that when it comes the peak season, you'll be able to advertise to those warm audiences and, you know, advertise really hard and they'll be much more likely to convert than cold audiences that you'd be trying to hit at, the, at that time. Yeah, trying to get, it's probably a, a fool's errand to try and acquire new cold customers on Black Friday. You know, sure there'll be some, but I think you're, you're just making your life difficult at that point. Yeah. And so trying to build up that top of funnel in advance so that you have warm respective yes. customers going into that buying season. Exactly. That's that's the game. That's what that wins is it. the game. And yeah, sure, we will convert to top of funnel because people there's people who just love a sale and they'll just buy anything on, you know, on Black Friday. And so you will get top of funnel. But the reason why the warm audience is so important is because traffic gets super expensive around Black Friday and it can't becomes everyone is like pushing so hard to get them get their ads in front of people that your CPMs will go crazy. And so, you know, you have to have a really high conversion rate on those high CPMs in order to to justify advertising in the first place. And so warm audiences will still have those high CPMs, but they'll be much lot more likely to convert. So you'll kind of make your advertising dollar just work a lot harder um, if you've got a, a big pool of warm audiences to advertise to at that time. We're, we're at the end of our time together. Where... Can we go to learn more about you? Sure. So I post content probably most often and frequently on LinkedIn. So you can just search my name, Jessie Healy, on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter, um, Jesse underscore Webtopia. So yeah, those are the places where you can find me. I will include all of that in the show notes. Tap or swipe up uh, to get to those. Jesse Healy, Webtopia, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. You want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy, to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.